You're listening to the podcast of Real Life Church. We love, we live, we relate. Absolutely awesome. Father God, I thank you that Jahira is enough. And even this morning as I share and I continue on the letters to the the churches to the from the book of revelation remember it's one revelation it's not revelations i'm just reminded this morning that the reality is jesus is perfect theology and we find our theology in him and my encouragement this morning is as i as i carry in on, on this series i want you to to start off but just reminding us when i started sharing from the book of revelation i was saying that we are not all going to agree i, I don't know I don't know many people who go, we totally agree, and we have the mandate and everything on the book of Revelation. There are different people, different groups, different churches, even in this auditorium. Um, joking, but even in this auditorium, there are some of us who, who aren't going to agree. And so my heart, my desire is to, to encourage us to think. My, my premise has always been, I, I don't want to be a leader, I don't want to be a pastor who tells you what to think. But I want to be somebody who encourages you to think and say, actually, what do you think? What do you believe? Why do you believe it? And in, in some areas, stretch the boundaries. You know, as I said so many times before, the things I believed when I first got into ministry, things I believed at Bible school, the things I believed when we led our first church are not, I've grown since then. I've matured. My understanding of grace and of identity and of the goodness of God, of of science, wonders, miracle, our identity, who we are, the power, the divine union that we have that allows us to do so much more. All of that has grown as I've matured, but I'm wanting to encourage us this morning to take personal responsibility for our growth. And even as I'm, I'm, I'm starting today with my final letter, so we'll hopefully finish it next week, but I was just thinking last night that in the past, I don't know how many weeks we've been chatting and going to the book of Revelation, but it's probably been about nine, ten weeks. And so I'm thinking that I've probably done about four verses a Sunday. So if I keep on at this speed with no Sundays off and we preach every Sunday, it's going to take us like two years to be able to just go through the book of Revelation. And the amazing thing is the average book in the, uh, the average chapter in the book of Revelation has about like 13 verses. You know, so it's still going to take us two years to get through this. And, you know, and so, like Ali and I don't always agree on, on, on series. And, and so sometimes I'll, I'll walk in and uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, no, not on the Bible, but uh, we don't agree on TV series, on Netflix series, you know. And so sometimes Ali will walk into a series that I'm watching and I've been in this series for a while and Ali will look at it and go, my goodness, this, this is just about violence and murder and something, but she, because she just sees like a snippet of it. And I walk into the series that she watches, which are trivial and boring and, and modern day little house on the prairie and things like that. Um, and, and I look and I go, oh my goodness, these people are still talking about the same thing. And you end ep you're in episode 14 of series number 121 um, and things like that. And so what I'm wanting to say is that this is just, it might seem like it's been nine weeks, but nine weeks in the greatest scheme of the book of Revelation and of what we're doing, our understanding of grace, our understanding of identity and all of that is the context into which we need to take some of it and understanding that we can't take one Sunday or, 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 
or one week or one month or even one year, I'm the conscious of God is doing in your lives and your thinking and what and that. And so as I'm sharing, I'm, I'm so conscious of the fact that we have new folk in the church, new people, people online who, who, who I might not know, might not know well. But my, my, my premise is, folk, let's think. Let's mature, let's grow, let's take personal responsibility so that we can have a greater, not just an understanding, but a greater relationship with Jesus. Because the, the more we know him, the more our lives become content and fulfilled because we get to operate <clears throat> and minister and move from a greater understanding of who am I in Jesus and who is Jesus in me. Mark did so well last week and, yeah. and just encouraging us to, you know, and, and saying, are you loving well? Are you laughing lots? And so I'm going, okay, fine. I need to improve on my, my loving a lot. I need to improve on my laughing but he also said, are you effective or are you impacting was the third um, exhortation that he ex exhorted us to. And so this morning, my message is an invitation to impact. So as I share from this part of the book of Revelation, my encouragement is friends, let's impact. And as I said, today is the beginning of the final part in the series that I've been doing on the letters of Revelation. And to remind that Jesus is writing to the churches and in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and Turkey's been on the news for all the wrong reasons, for the fires and everything at the moment. And so even when Ali and I were in, in Turkey, we were able to go to Ephesus, we were able to go to some of these most amazing places, and we were able to see some of the historical context. We were able to see the public toilets that are in Ephesus, you know, and how public the toilets were. And it's like a nightmare of, of mine. And so... We were able to go and see the context and go to these some of these amazing places. And if you've been engaged, and for me, my, my, my exhortation again is that we need to engage, not just attend a meeting, but engage with the message. And engaging is saying, I want to take some personal responsibility. I want you to chew the meat and spit out the bones of this. I, I want you to eat this word. Because when I do, when I dive into the word, and when, when, I, when I consume this and I make it part of it, I shared a little bit about that last week, that then it becomes healthy to us. Now, Jesus gives us things, but we've got to take them as well. And when we don't, when we don't take the word of God, we don't digest it, we don't own it, the benefit of it, of it is often lost to us. And I'm convinced that as we've gone through this, this wonderful book, that if you have engaged and you've digested something that you would have learned, you would understand a little bit more about what, what is happening. And my hope is that the fear of and the mystery and the, the, the science fictionness of this book gets removed. And when we remove the stigma, we can dive into it and we can absolutely enjoy it. And so a quick recap, God has taken us through each of the letters that he's written to the churches, the book of Revelation. And he, Jesus has written to these books, but whatever Jesus says, there's something good that we can take out of it. And so to the church in Ephesus, we are called back to our first love. And remember, our first love isn't just to Jesus, mere my small corner with Jesus. It's to the first love, to Jesus and his church, his bride. And I do find it difficult when people go, well, I'm not interested in the church, because then you're not interested in, in what Jesus has called you to. Rather just find a church that you can get interested in, 
but don't, don't you know because i've had a dodgy meal it does it hasn't made me give up on food i just you can see you know, <laughs> i just go and find better restaurants where where there is something that is of quality then the second is we're called to stand firm with the church in smara we're called to be the pillars in the midst of cultural pressure like he the, he was addressing the church in philadelphia we're called to confront compromise with the church in Thyatira, a call to wake up from complacent faith to the church in, uh, in Sardis, and we're called to become winners and find our true identity with the church in Pergamum. And so this morning, I'm wanting to wrap up with John's letter to the church in Lazaria. And this is probably one of the most familiar letters. So, you know, you'll, I'll, I'll quote something because you go, yeah, I know that. And if you've been involved with church for, for a long time, these are some of the verses, some of the, the passages that have just been thrown at you, and maybe you even throw them at somebody else. And so I want to say, well, if you've had them said to you, or you've thrown them out to somebody else, and you believe that scripture is more than a bumper sticker on a car, then what is it that you're actually saying? What is it that you're receiving when we quote these things? So you ready? Yeah. Fast your seatbelts. Let's dive in. So Revelation 3, verse 14, and we're going to go 14 to 22, but we'll do that over at least two weeks. We might do it over three months. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> and we start off. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Lacedia. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. And friends, I'm reminded, and I've said this before, that every single letter that we have looked at, there is a personal context that Jesus is totally intentional with the words and the descriptions and the things that he says. He can say so little and convey so much because he does it well. You know, and, and for me, it's, sometimes it's to be able to say little and convey a lot. And preachers don't get this right. We want to say a lot. And I hope, Holy Spirit, May, may, may most of what I say be of you this morning. Everything that is of you, won't you allow to cement in our spirits and things that are not of you, won't you allow to be blown away in your Holy Spirit in the wind? And so Jesus gives a specific address to each church. And the interesting thing with this, with this specific church that Jesus gives a prescription to, sorry, let me start again. The interesting thing is that in this specific church, the description that Jesus has is everything is preceded by a definite article. So for those of us who have done English, how many of us have done English? Like, okay, we can all put our hands down. I do English, but I can't say I passed English, although it's my home language. But so what is a definite article? What is Jesus talking about? And it means this. When a definite article in the Greek precedes the description, it indicates a uniqueness. It indicates authority. It indicates a distinction. So the, 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 the definite article is saying this, what I'm about to say needs to be emphasized. What I'm about to say is of super importance. This isn't just a something, this is an everything. And so this means we must provide emphasis to this. So this is how we should read it. We should say, this is a message from the one who is the amen, who is the faithful that is the true witness not just who is the amen the true witness the beginning and no this is the amen this is the faithful the true witness 
This is the message from the beginning of God's creation. And when we say that, we, we say this is, has power. This has absolute authority because he is absolute. There is no other word that is higher than him. There's no other creator higher than this. No other amen that is higher than this. This is the amen. He is faithful. He is the faithful. He is the true witness. He is the embodiment of the highest level of authority. There is no one that is higher than him. He is the beginning. He is the word. He is the creation. He is the one who breathed life and gave life to everything. He is the one who existed before anything. And he is the one who created everything. He is the authority over everything. And when we understand that, why does it matter? It matters because when we understand that he is the word, he is the prudence, it gives Jesus, it gives him preeminent authority regarding what he says so scriptures and the way it's written is to say this isn't just a word this isn't just some authority this is ultimate authority this is ultimate word this is the ultimate decree and declaration that jesus is saying and we're not to look at these words as meaningless we're not to look at these words that is just like another phrase, another passage of scripture, some that has been said by anyone. When Jesus and Holy Spirit says, says, these are the words, the authority, we need to take them seriously. We can't treat them lightly. And when Jesus says something, even with this, Jesus is emphasizing the authority and the power that is behind what he is saying. It's not just that Jesus is saying something important, but the authority. Jesus is reminding the church of the authority that is being said. And then he goes on in verse 15. I know all these things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like, luke, sorry, since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Not the most endearing words from Jesus, is it? No. So, so many of us read to go, oh no! Now, these are where we just want to get control of the leaks, remove it from our iPhones, Con you know, get Tipex, those of us who use old fashioned, just remove that. There's just so many passages of scripture that we just want to remove. Not the most endearing words from Jesus, but definitely attention grabbing. And I know that attention grabbing because so many people quote it um, in, in so many different things. But we, when I first started, I was saying to you that in the book of Revelation, Jesus is pastor, he is prophet, and he is poet when he's when he's writing this. And so I want to remind you at the moment that Jesus isn't the, the carnivore, Jesus isn't a cannibal when he is saying this. It's the prophetic and the poetic Jesus. And so as we unpack that, I want you to remind us that the church is not always the most beneficial thing. There's good and there's great that happens in the church. And that's why for me, I want to give my life to the church because I believe in the church. Jesus calls us back to first love, to him and the church. And, and for me, it's important that for me to be able to give my life to it. But in the context of being a pastor, I do want to say that sometimes the church is not the most beneficial thing to people and to our communities and even to the people in the church. But the church has the potential 
to enrich our thinking. The church has a potential to, to entrench our thinking as well. And the church has a potential to entrench our thinking in a denominational mindset. It has the potential to entrench our thinking when it comes to theology or scripture or even culturally, where the church starts to dictate that this is what happens. This is the way that you should believe. And that I think the church went so off course that we were able to justify things like apartheid and use scripture to be able to do something. And the church entrenched a scriptural per, uh, presentation and prerogative in such a way that we all followed this without going up and saying, let me think for myself. So I'm, I'm wanting to put out there that sometimes the church entrenches a mindset that is not always healthy, that is not always accurate, that is not always relevant. And that's why I give my life to the bride. That's why I give my life to the church. Because I want to say, Holy Spirit, I want a group of people, I want a community who are able to think. My, my, my desire is to teach people to think, not always to teach them what to think. And sometimes we hear things over and over and over and over and over again. And we think, I've heard this so many times, it must be right. I've heard this so many times, it must be true. I've heard it so many times, you know, and the sad thing is even in identity, people talk Fake identity interest. You are not good enough. You must try harder. The more prayer meetings you go to, the better you will be. And we just hear too often, if I, if I just go to more prayer meetings, then Jesus will love me more. And the church enshrines some of that bad yuck over us. And we think if I just jump through a couple of religious hoops, I will qualify for, for something. And that's not at all what the church is about. And so friends, we, when we don't question things, when we get saved and, and we adopt a spirit of stupidity rather than the spirit of Holy Spirit, when we adopt a spirit of stupidity rather than the Holy Spirit that empowers us and the Holy Spirit empowers us to grow and to mature and to think and to understand. And yet sometimes we just adopt a spirit of stupidity and we become lemmings that just follow somebody and we end up going off a cliff. When thinking becomes the lens through which you always see scripture, when a poor lens is placed over you, and that lens means that you see scripture, you see people, you see circumstances, you see situations, you see finances, you see identity, you see leadership, you see church through that lens, and this I think is one of those verses where we have a lens that is put over us and we always see things through a lens that needs to be cleaned or replaced. The thinking that most people have here is, and so yesterday I was out at outreach and I was asking people, what do you think in 30 seconds this verse means? And everybody except one person gave a very similar answer. And the gist of it is, and how many of you would say, hot is good? Even to your audience, hot is good and on screen? Yeah. Hot is good? So, so we all agree, hot is good. How many of you go, cold is bad? So 
almost everyone agrees cold is bad and okay now you all know that it's a trick question how many of you think that hot is better than cold i'm talking the scripture curry hot is always good except for a meal you know and so so even yesterday every single person i spoke to one person mark said that i know it's a trick question so i think the answer is jacuzzi okay well you were probably closer to the truth than most people but every single person i spoke to yesterday when i was asking said hot is good cold is bad hot is better cold is less better cold may be adequate but it's not great um, and if anything, we all want to be hot. How many would rather be hot than cold in the context of the scripture? Yes. Yeah. Passionately yeah. hot, definitely not cold. So I'm wanting to propose this morning that we take a moment and engage some common sense. I don't think, now I'm getting nervous. I don't think that Jesus was talking about spiritual, personal temperatures here. That Jesus wish that the last Syrians were spiritually hot that spiritually hot men pursuing jesus and that was a good thing or that jesus was saying you were either hot or you were cold and if you were cold it meant that he wanted nothing to do with you i don't think jesus is saying that i'm, I'm taking a, 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 a spiritual thermometer here and if you're hot you do my will and my way and if you're cold you're not and if you're cold i want nothing to do with you People, I think what Jesus was saying is something different. I don't think Jesus was saying that if you're hot, I want you to be close to me. And if you're cold, I reject you. Because it doesn't fit into context of the local church. It, for me, it just doesn't fit into the context of Jesus. The, the city of Lacedia was situated in a valley. So already, if you look at the geography of the area, the city of Lacedia was in a valley. And we know that all, almost all the other letters were written to cities that were, were, were fortresses and were on high places and they had status and they had wealth and, they, and people wanted to aspire to be, to be up there. They were fortified areas and they were protected. And the city of Lacedia wasn't. The city of Lacedia was in a valley. And this is where we start to understand something of what was happening. So 15 kilometers north of Lacedia, there was a city called Herlopopolis. And this city, Heropopolis, H-E-I-R-A-P-O-L-I-S, Heropopolis. So Heropopolis was a city that was 15 kilometers north of where they were. And why is this important? I'm glad you asked, Brachy. I saw that confusion <laughs> on your eyes. So, so this was important because this city was known for its hot mineral springs. And now we go back to a day where we didn't have geyser and solar powered and Eskom backups and things like that, where hot water was a luxury, where hot water was something that people aspired to. But not only did this city have hot water, this was known as a city and an opportunity of luxury, where hot water was luxurious. But these hot springs weren't only hot. These hot springs were known to have therapeutic properties. These hot springs were, were, were places of healing. This is where people went for, 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 um, for healing, for therapy, to, to soothe the aching body. And this is what the city was, was known for. And so people came from all over the known world to the hot springs in the city. 
and they were restored in this place. The hot springs gave them a sense of rejuvenization. It was therapeutic. It was a place of healing. So we understand a little bit about the hot, but now 15 kilometers to the east of Lacedira, there was a city known as Colossa. And Colossa was situated at the base of a mountain range, again, important. And this city had a rare natural commodity as well. Any guesses what it was? Cold. It was a city that was known for its natural cold springs. And so Colossa was a community that attracted people all over because it's healthy, cold, natural springs. And especially in summer in Turkey and Asia Minor, this is where people went for refreshment. Mm. This is where people went for, to, to be refreshed, to be energized. These refreshing waters would reinvigorate, would revitalize, and would re-energize people. And so Lacedaemon had neither hot nor cold springs, but the cities around them were known for being hot or cold, and they had nothing. But they wanted it. They wanted the hot and they wanted the cold. And so what do they do? They employed engineers. So they got the engineers and they got the people and said, well, if they are doing well, because they are known for health and vitality and rejuvenation, and they'll do well because they are people go there for therapeutic reasons and to get re-energized and revitalized, we want that too. So they employed the engineers and the engineers came and built limestone aqueducts. And on the, on the video and on the little advert that I made, that picture is of what some of the aqueducts that remain to this day. So they built limestone aqueducts that came from the hot springs and the cold springs. They built it to transport, to transport the hot water from Heropopolis and the cold water from Colossia. And so that's where the hot and the cold came from, and they transported it in. But you can imagine now, this is why it's important. They were in a valley, so gravity was able to help them, and they built these limestone aqueducts to bring hot water, and limestone aqueducts to bring cold water, and it brought it to their city. But by the time it got there, the water had lost its temperature. The hot water was not hot and the cold water was not cold. And so they had went to great efforts to bring this in. And when it got there, it was lukewarm water. But not only that, because it had traveled this great distance in limestone aqueducts, the water picked up the limestone sediment. And this made the water unpalatable. So they brought in the glorious hot water from the springs, transported it in the limestone aqueducts, and when it got to them, it was not good for, 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 for being hot or cold, and it wasn't even palatable because of the limestone sediment. And so they would drink it, and when they drink it, what would happen? <laughs> they would throw up. They would spit it out of their mouths. So by the time the hot water came, and by the time the cold water came, it was useless. 
it was worthless. The, if you partook of it, it would make you spit it out. The lukewarm was spat out. The water though had an excellent cleansing property. It was used as an enema. It would clean you out by making you vomit or giving you diarrhea. And so that's what this water was now known for. The lukewarm water made you sick. You would vomit it out. So now, friends, if you take some of that information and considering that Jesus has spoken specifically and uniquely to each church, understanding their geography, their location, what they were going through, specifically what they were doing, that Jesus isn't saying that I want you to be neither hot nor cold. He's not saying that, I, oh, sorry, that Jesus, oh, but, but sorry, I'm getting confused here. <sighs> I just realized that what I'm saying is not palatable to so many people. <laughs> but Jesus is saying, I wish you were one or the other. The analogy is significant and it's different to what most of us think. It may be different to what you've been taught. It may be different to what you believe. Because most of us believe that the hot was good and the cold was bad. But I'm wanting to suggest that the imagery that Jesus is saying is that both are very good. That being hot is good and being cold is good. So I'm going to suggest that maybe we want to be hot or maybe we want to be cold. Jesus is saying to the, the church in Lacedaemon, I wish that you were either hot or cold. I wish you were hot, that you would bring deep therapeutic healing to those around you. I wish that you were a source of healing. I wish that you were a source of restoration or that you are cold and that you are a source of renewal, you are a source of revitalization, that you are a source of refreshment. I wish you were one or the other. I think Jesus is saying that both are good. <laughs> if you were just one or the other, you would be good. But the fact that you are neither is what I have an issue with. And remember, Jesus is talking to the church. He's saying, church, you were created for a purpose. You were created to make a difference. You were created to impact. There's a reason why you were created. There's a reason why you were called to be what you were called to be. Your, your identity is so important. Stop trying to be something that you weren't created to be. But be good at being hot or be good at being cold. But when you're trying to be that or that, you become nothing. Stop trying to be what I've called others to be and be good at what I've called you to be. But when you try to be something that you were not created to be, you become something that others will avoid. I have called you to be 
hot and therapeutic or cold and revigorating. I've called you to make an impact. If you be what I've called you to be, people will be attracted to that. You will have impact. You will have value. You will have purpose. When you are hot or you are cold, you will have significance and people will be attracted to your properties because I've created you for that. Mm. But instead, when you try to be something that you're not, when you try to be both hot and cold and end up as lukewarm, you become repulsive to the very people that you have been created to impact and have input into. The people who need refreshment will come to you when you are a cold place of refreshment and rejuvenation. And the people who need therapeutic spiritual healing will come to you when you understand that that's what you're called to be. But if you try to become something that you're not, if you try to compare yourself to other people, if you try to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, if you try to become a little bit of Stuart and a little bit of Mark and a little bit of Ali and a little bit of Amy, you won't be fit for purpose. Because you were never called yes. to be a little bit of stew, mm. a little bit of Amy, mm -hmm. and a little bit of Francois. And friends, when we try to be things that we are not, we become unpalatable to the world. When the world tastes of us, when we are on fire for Jesus and we are hot, they will find the healing that they are looking for. When people want the refreshing and they come to us to be refreshed, they'll find what they're looking for. But if they come to something that is neither hot nor cold, that is wishy-washy, because we've tried to transport other people's giftings and identities and talents and callings and everything else, and we try to take a little bit of all of that, we dilute it to the lowest common denominator, and I would suggest it becomes repulsive mm -hmm. to those around us and to the world. And that's when it caused us to vomit, where there is no authenticity in that. And friends, that's where I believe if we are lukewarm, we become a vomit to those around us and we lose our ability to impact i think that jesus is saying that this is about impact this isn't about your personal spiritual identity that jesus is saying if you're trying to act and do things that are outside your identity you become repulsive and vomited it's what you do. It's when you take on a fake identity and you jump through religious hoops to try and be something that you're not. When you try to do and behave outside your identity, it becomes something that is unpalatable. But friends, if we are hot or cold, I would suggest that both are good. And that God is pleased with both. Friends, 
this isn't a letter about salvation. I don't think it's a letter about your spiritual feelings. And again, I am more than happy for people to have different views. I'm not saying that I have it all together. I'm not saying I have a mandate on truth. I don't have a mandate on anything. But I'm wanting you to say, at least think about what it is that you believe. And when we keep on throwing out scriptures, like, you know, you are not hot or cold. Jesus spews you out. I don't think that's accurate. I don't think Jesus spews anybody out. I don't think Jesus says to people that in common old way of thinking, because you're cold, I want to distance myself from you. I think Jesus said, I want to draw all men to me. Jesus is wanting the hot and the cold. Jesus wants you to operate in what you were created for. Jesus wants you to be authentic. And when you are authentic in your identity, he is well pleased. And I think that sometimes we need to understand a little bit more before we put these things on as bumper stickers on our car. I don't think that this is a letter about identity. That Jesus looks at you and go, you cold out, off you go, you lukewarm, I spit you out. I don't think Jesus is saying that at all. I think this is a letter about impact. It's not about you being a son or a daughter or jumping through religious hoops. This is about your legacy, your ability, your testimony, your influence, your effectiveness. As Mark said last week, we, we, should, we, we need to be loving more, we need to be laughing more, and we need to be impacting more. And the way that we impact is you do it with authenticity. Mm-hmm. We call it real life for a reason. Mm-hmm. Let's be real with where we are. Mm-hmm. Let's not try to be more mature than we are by quoting a couple of scriptures and throwing out some banter. Mm-hmm. Let's not try to take on what God's called somebody else to do or somebody else to be. But let's be who we are. And do it well. When I talk of impact, I'm not saying it's disruptive. I think there's so much disruption in the world at the moment as it is. When I'm talking about impact, I'm talking about an overflowing hospitality to the goodness and the graciousness and the blessings and the favor of God. That people are attracted to you and to me because of who we are and whose we are. That just by your presence, you bring therapeutic healing to those around you. Or just by your presence, you bring soul refreshment to those who need it. Our presence, our impact, our hospitality should be both hot and cold, healing and refreshment. That just by your presence, you bring salt and light to your community and to those around you. That people see you and they celebrate you for who and whose you are. In other words, you make a difference. And what I'm wanting to encourage us this morning is we make a difference when we are content and we know who and whose we are. When we do what God has called us to. And not what God has called somebody else to. This is a letter to a church who had forgotten what impact they should have on the people and the culture around them. This is a letter to a church and a community who are trying hard to be somebody else. 
This was a letter to a church at a community who felt totally inadequate and so tried their best to be something that they were not created to be. And friends, it's so easy to get consumed with things that have little value from things that have eternal perspective and eternal worth. And the danger happens when we become lukewarm. The danger happens when we become lukewarm, we are ineffective, we don't have influence, we don't have impact. The danger happens when we are vomited out by those around us because we are unpalatable and we have no influence. We are neither hot nor cold. Where people can't come to us for healing or wholeness or joy or strength. When I become bored, I start to lose the spiritual meaning of life. When I become bored and become lukewarm, I stop, I stop impacting those around me. When I become bored and lukewarm, I'm no longer loving, I'm no longer laughing, and I'm no longer impacting. When I become lukewarm, hurry dominates my day. When I get bored with impacting those around me, anxiety raises its ugly head and steals and demands my attention. Anxiety and hurry and fear and overwhelming become what I get consumed with because I'm trying so hard not to be what I've been called to be. And we can be either hot or cold. And I think that both are good. I would suggest that when we become lukewarm, ambition and acquisition become our pursuit. That selfishness restricts our ability to see what is happening. When we get consumed with the me, I want that hot. I want that cold. I want that healing. I want that refreshing. I want that prophetic gifting. I want that pastoral gifting. I want that wife. I want that car. I want that job. I want that ministry. I want that friend. I want church on my terms. I want the church with terms and conditions that apply. And we become unpalatable to those around us. Becoming self-satisfied becomes our end game. All about me. When there's no intentionality, there'll be no clarity of vision. When you lukewarm, there's no bigger picture. Life becomes boring. So friends, I'm going to, to carry on next week. But I'm wanting to thank you. So we, we have a slight issue here. Because everybody disagreed with me yesterday. The only person who, who was slightly on track because he said a joke was, was Mark when he said, I bet you've got something to do with like a jacuzzi. And I'm thinking, yeah, well, hot springs. That was like a little bit close. But I don't have to be right. And I might be the one that is wrong and off course. But I want him to say, let's just think. Let's enjoy the goodness of God. Yeah. Let's enjoy one another. So when I say I'm happy to have people in our church that are hot, that we can all go, yes, the healing 
therapeutic people. And I want people in my church, our church, to be called the refreshing, revigorating people. I go, yes. But those who are trying to be a mishmash of everything else, it becomes offensive to those who want to impact. And that's when we get vomited out. Not out as people or identity, but as our ability to impact. It becomes unpalatable. People see the fake. They see the religious. They see the pretense versus the authentic people who know who and whose they are, where we can celebrate and say, I am hot or I am cold. People are attracted to me because of God who created me and I'm doing what he has created me to be. Let's not let church leaders, let's not let church or a lens or a paradigm or things like that stop us from being what we're called to be. Otherwise, we can get trapped in a modern-day spiritual apartheid where we start to divide people on whether you're hot or cold, black or white. It's just saying, actually, I want to celebrate exactly who you are. But the thing is, we need to understand who we are, whose we are. And so we start off with being called back to first love, being called back to Jesus, loving him, knowing who you are, having your identity firmly cemented in him, that your influence, your calling, everything else flows out of that. And friends, I'm convinced that we can impact and grow together and do so much more together. We can love, laugh, and be effective. We know what Jesus has called us to. Holy Spirit, I thank you. I ask that everything that I've said that is not totally of you, that you'll blow it away in a tornado, that you'll remove it as far as the east from the west. But Holy Spirit, allow us to be able to think and grow and mature in your beautiful and your gorgeous name. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen and glorize. Fantastic, fantastic. Thank you. It is a tough one. And as I said, um, if, if I say to people, I'm going to share others like Matthew, Galatians, Romans, Acts, everyone goes, yes. As soon as I say I'm sharing out of Revelation. And for me, Revela I, I, I chose this because I was encouraged to do something stretchy. Yeah. I was told, I was encouraged by one of my mentors to say, to say Stu, preach on something that is going to stretch you. Um, and so this really has been a stretching exercise for me, especially when I think some of my thinking is a bit counterculture. Um, but as I say, I hope that we can see it in the context of all of scripture, of revelation, what God has called us to do. This was just like three or four verses and um, we'll, we'll carry on next week. But um, Emil, if you... Thank you for listening. 